Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Zinfandel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. So Linda, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about wine brands and specifically big brands and uh, what's it all about, Um, you know, are they positive for consumers? Do they have negative connotations or implications? And um, we might take a look at a few examples and uh, just have a general chat as to, um, you know, messaging and branding in general. Sounds good to me, Antonia. Yeah, let's uh, kick off. So it might be nice to start with, you know, a little little look at what is a brand? What do we mean by a brand? So um, I suppose one definition would be um, it is the perception of the product and its name in the consumer's mind. Branding is is so important in terms of, you know, how a consumer connects with a wine. Do they come back? Do they repeat purchase? You know, how does uh, a brand or a wine develop brand loyalty? Um, Because, you know, that's really what it, what it's all about, and I it's a it's a really interesting exercise. You could spend a lot a long time just in supermarkets, having a look at you know those big hitters and seeing what is it, you know asking yourself what is it about these brands that is really hitting home with the market, you know yeah, making them such a success. I find this so interesting. I did my case study for my diploma in wine um, on this topic twelve years ago, and okay. uh, you know it's changed so much, and it's still fascinating to me because a brand is something that people kind of want to you know feel that they belong to part of it and they trust it and all of this but obviously a lot of effort goes into the companies creating oh, yeah. brands that are gonna sell so yeah I know so you are absolutely the expert in this then oh, <laughs> 12 years ago that was Antonia but it's look I love uh, researching this and it really does fascinate me so I'd love yeah. to see what you have to say well, look, just generally speaking, I mean, a brand can mean many things. It's not just about, you know, what's the name of the wine and what's the icon, um, you know, the brand icon or the imagery that's being used, what's the mm-hmm. packaging. I mean, you know, uh, it's not just the feel and look of the label. It can be a region or a style. So, for example, um, marketing efforts of regions like Bordeaux or Champagne has uh, have ensured that these regions are in themselves brands. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So there is all that. And you have um, things like Brand Australia, um, which was sort of a concept that was promoted by the regulatory body there to, to kind of get Australia back on the map again, you know, in, in terms of the global market. And they, you know, they promoted sort of regulation that encouraged innovation, innovation and, in, you know, how they made wine and the packaging and the marketing. Um, and you can see that even with New Zealand as well, in terms of their winemaking and the AWRI, uh, the Australian Wine Research Institute are, you know, brilliant. They're really, you know, the flying winemakers that promote New Zealand and go to old world wine regions to, you know, to 
to impart their knowledge as such and their innovative techniques. So there's a brand can mean many and things. And also in turn, learn learn as well from you know traditional styles as well so like exactly yeah 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 yeah. so I think a brand can mean many things but I think for the purposes of this chat we're really talking about the label the brand name you know the general look and feel of a wine and how it connects to the consumer Mm -hmm. you know and so there's there's a few things that just baffle me I suppose when I when I look at the brands that connect with the consumer you know and I do want to touch on like sort of consolidation and how and how it all came about how did these big brands come to to be as such um but there are funny ones out there that are a huge success like and when i look now at say 19 crimes you know that's a big seller in a lot of markets and um it's fascinating to me this idea that you know a wine that tells the story of criminals is that I mean like I, I think that's kind of the basis of the marketing um concept yeah there's a uh, QR yeah, code and yeah you, you scan yeah, that it's tagline it is a, a video yeah yeah it's tagline is cheers to the infamous you know and like what kind of a message is that to be sending to consumers and why do they connect with it or why are they like you know this is not entry-level wine this is retailing I mean in Ireland where we are 16 17 18 euro per bottle which is you know yeah, it's yeah, it's it's significant. Um, and they have like these what they call the living labels. So you download the app and you use, you know, you scan it and it tells you a story of, you know, a tale of one of the, you know, the crimes, one of the 19 crimes. But do you think criminals are going out buying that wine then? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me like. I'm just fascinated why a consumer comes along and goes, oh, God, yeah, and go, I'm really yeah into that and I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to try it. And like, obviously, it's been a total success. The sales are are there to back that. But why does that connect with the consumer is my question. And because they do a really good job of promoting product placement, all that kind of stuff to get it be seen. It's something different that the consumer can feel engaged with. They pick up the bottle, they feel connected and they say, oh, here's something other than just grape juice and they probably don't know exactly what they are drinking in terms of grape and how it's made and things like that but it's something different you know it was kind of similar when Snoop Dogg's came out I know he's touched on celebrity wines but again it was because it was something that was product placed everywhere all over supermarkets and things like that that I mean this is what they do point of sale boom right in front of you and and that's how brands, they're eye-catching, you know, be it barefoot, you know, barefoot wines, they have all the different colours, a pink, a yellow, a red, a green for diff- different grapes. And it's eye-catching. So that's mm. the first thing, I suppose, about brands that, you know, it's something different. 19 crimes, it sounds intriguing. Do you, you think know? anybody actually looks up those tales and downloads the app? Yeah, of course read- they do. do I they did. Do? Yeah, I did it <laughs> just to see what it was going to do like. And I end up showing somebody else it, you know, that was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that yeah. because it's curiosity. You know, it's but something I, unique, yeah. it's innovative, um, you know, like because people don't necessarily go onto websites to look at different wines. They may go to Vivino to look up something, but this is like you are going and they see how many people are downloading that app and they go, oh, mm. there's scope for this. A brilliant idea. Like, But when you, when you think of brand loyalty, I mean, you know, research sort of tells you that brand loyalty can come from, you know, customer identification with the owners or the staff or the lifestyle that's being portrayed, mm-hmm. right, by that brand. 
Do you think people are identifying with the criminal lifestyle? You no, know, I just don't. I think they're no, just they don't, obviously. Some, some kind of easy drinking style that is there. That's something different and they enjoy it and they go back to it. I don't think that they're, you know. Yeah. OK, so so going back, we'll we'll go back to like the big one you just mentioned in a minute, you know, the Barefoot, uh, yeah, which is a huge brand. Um, I suppose it's nice to talk about where, how did big brands come about? So, you know, consolidation, you know, where these winery businesses, they started off small and then there were takeovers uh, after takeovers and they became these big conglomerates. So, like, you know, um, it's kind of origins were in California in the 70s with the likes of Mondavi and Gallo and Sebastini. These were family businesses that transformed into corporate entities. Um, and then in the 80s in Australia, kind of, you know, a lot of businesses followed suit. So like there was a buyout of Penfolds by the Adelaide Steamship Company of all places um, or of all companies, I should say. Um, and then Hardee's were acquired by like a bulk wine shipping company. Um, and all of these, you know, big um, consolidations took place and big brands emerged. And with that, I suppose we were talking about, you know, friend or foe. So I suppose you have to give credit to these big companies for lots of things. So, for example, greater technological advances, more investment yeah. in the industry um, mm -hmm. and putting wine on the on the map in terms of you know greater market reach in yeah. getting grape varieties and styles of wines out there making them accessible to consumers because a lot of consumers you know don't have to I mean wine is a luxury good and you know they didn't you know a lot of consumers can't afford to to pay for anything other than sort of an entry level price so mm -hmm. these wines were wines that were accessible because they were sold at accessible price points am you know am i right a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, that's exactly it. I mean, they, they, you know, the big companies, they took over wineries and they gathered together to put all the resources together to be more creative, innovative, hired the best people to, you know, marketers included to kind of sell their products. And they can have so many different brands, brands under one umbrella, but they're targeting different markets and different sectors and demographics and all of that. And it's 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 so interesting what they're doing. Like, I mean, LVMH, um, luxury clothing, designer bags, and they own, you know, what what do they own? Loads of places. <laughs> well, I don't think. So Louis Vuitton, Moet and Hennessy. So Hennessy, all the yeah, yeah. Moet, Moet and Don and, and Dom Perignon and Hennessy. And yeah, they're huge. You know? Yeah. Well, in fact, talking of Moet... Um, not looking. Yeah, well, are you? Do you say Moet or Moe? Uh, I'll say whatever. I never correct anyone on it. You know. Yeah. Just leave them West to Shandon. it. Well, anyway, I was looking at the top um top brands uh ranked for 2022 in wine, mm -hmm. and so Moet is ranked number one. It's held its position from 2021, so that's two years consecutively. Um, and then after that, you have Vuv Clico. Um, and after that, you have Shandong and then you have a, like a Chinese wine company called Shang Yu. And then number five is, is Dom Perignon. And after that, number six is the one you mentioned is Barefoot. Um, yeah. So like they are the heavy hitters that we see that are everywhere. Um, but in saying that, it's quite interesting because despite increasing consolidation, the wine sector is still really fragmented. So what I mean is like sort of the top 10 wine brands represent maybe like just just over 2% of total 
wine sales revenue globally. It's funny, isn't it? It's bananas. The 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 quantities and all the rest of the percentages are mental. But going back to Moet for a second there, right? What they did with their brand, okay? So every it's a household name. Everyone has heard of it. Everyone's probably received a bottle of it at some point or gifted a bottle. But what they did that was cool and interesting. Now I'm talking about in Ireland that I've seen personally. You can go into one of Ireland's luxury stores, Brown Thomas, and get a bottle personalised. Do you know? And my sister-in-law called over recently and had the little snipes with the little plastic um, gold things that you can sip from. Sip mode as you're, you know, just sitting around making champagne, snipes a little champagne accessible all the time. Mm -hmm. And you kind of felt a bit special, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're drinking champagne. You don't have to open it. They're not cheap. But, you know, there is another way of people. Oh, wow. You know, and, and people are all into, you know, gold, you know, rose gold and all these things and personalized gifts and oh yeah so of course they they see this is what people they want to be instagrammable with all of these brands and things like that and be seen and tag them so of course boom worked for them fair play like i just i'm branding like our brand antonia is you and me Mm -hmm. (laughs) antonia the long linda the short and our silhouette and like i just think that that's a brilliant concept of a brand because neither of us want <laughs> no, to get our ugly not one bit uh, modest there now Linda. No, no I just no I know but I didn't want my ugly mug on, on something and have to you know but a silhouette it's just you know it's boom it's there it's distinctive and we had so much crack trying to do that with the glasses and everything like but we try to everywhere we go when I make you uh, stand back to back and say "Ooh, we're winding yeah. along in the short of it you know and it's just getting that message out over and over again I don't um, think achieving like top brand status, status like, was uh, it was in our minds. <laughs> not oh, yet, Antonia, not yet. On the way, of course, you know. Do this. Yeah. Um, and so can you can you think of any sort of negative connotations or implications of, you know, the big brands? Yeah, 100% I can. Um, that it's just people get stuck in a rut. They don't experiment. They're tasting wine that generally tastes all the same without um and they're they're being sold to rather than having freedom of choice as far as I'm concerned. Whereas if they go to a wine shop, have a chat with somebody instead of like a supermarket that they actually get to hear stories about not just the marketing BS that's on the back of of bottles, but and or uh, or a little video about a crime that may have happened. Uh, they're actually hearing from someone who have may have met a winemaker that came in visiting the shop, and you're hearing from people who are really passionate about you know selling wine and finding boutique smaller wineries that have a story. But again, without the bigger brands, there wouldn't be any chance for innovation and spend to produce kind of better qualities within a brand. So say Santa Rita, their 120 brand, you know, sells so well in Ireland. I think it's one of the biggest ones here. And yet they have got amazing single vineyards that might be 25, 30 euro that are fantastic. Mm. But, you know, it's a stepping stone, I hope, for some people. But some will just always stick at at this price point. But then people who won't be snobby about big brands, I'm never drinking a big brand, that they'll actually go, well, actually, they make wine for this level, but we're going to try the premium and it's a a better estate. It's a sorry, better vineyard area, all of that better crafted wine. So I think that, you know, brands that if they can pitch things for different levels of consumer, Obviously, they're going to get their their cash from 
the entry level that is mass produced and mass sold. So, yeah. I, I feel like I want to preach, but I don't want to preach. No, you know? I know. I'm very passionate about this in case you didn't notice. No, and I do. And the message I'm getting from you is that you're, you're sort of a, an advocate for the big brands because you feel that it's it's important for getting people engaged with wine and getting them then, you know, hopefully interested in experimenting and getting a little bit more adventurous and trying other types of wines. But I, I do I do sometimes feel a little bit sad about, you know, these in endless endless incessant brands that are, you know, filling up the shelves and, you know, sold at, you know, minimum margins just just for the volume and like this kind of monolithic, you know, supermarket culture of wines. And as you say, like, you know, I I like I, I see people going in all the time and picking up their I heart wine or their you know I heard Merlot I heard I heard Merlot and they're yeah and the bear I don't think you'd know the difference between some of them because they're just so neutral like you know there's no complexity to these wines I'm saying that Antonia but I worked in a wine shop for 12 years and we didn't sell any of the bigger brands there was one tiny section and if somebody came in looking for a particular brand we would say head on down to Tesco the supermarket down the road yeah, I know. Uh, we yeah. don't stock it or we won't be able to compete with them. You know, or if you ever no, did know. get I'm... a branded wine in, you just wouldn't. They'd be like, geez, you're awful dear for this. And it's like, off you go. You yeah, know, I this get is it. not what we're but trying we to be. we are talking about big brands, I suppose. Yeah. That's the point is that we're not talking about independent wines. And, um, you know, in that context, I just would love, I'd love to see more of, of people stepping out of that com- comfort zone once they're, you know, once they've gotten their used to a certain wine um, and I also feel sorry sometimes for the small guys who are swallowed up by, you know, the big corporates. You know, they can't compete. They can't invest in marketing, positioning and so on. Yes. Oh, got your hand yeah, up. <laughs> 100%. I have my hand up. I wanted to say, though, that branded wines are extremely convenient to purchase. Yes. Extremely convenient. You can get one in your garage getting your petrol. You yeah. can get your, you know, from well, 10.30 in the morning here till 10 p.m., you can go into a spa or a local convenience store and actually pick up Is that any necessarily of a positive? I'm not saying it's a positive. I'm being a devil's, the devil's advocate here. It is convenient. Therefore, they sell. Whereas a lot of independents may close earlier that you might get a more exciting wine. But they, you know, they've their trained staff, so they obviously are paying more money. Whereas somewhere that's working in a, you know, a supermarket or a, a garage, the wine is just there. The brands yeah. are going to sell themselves. No one's going to help them with it, but they're able to just sell themselves. So you I don't know. need... I'm just posing the question, would it do any society any harm not to have garages selling, you know, big branded Ooh, wines that's a at 10.30 that's a totally in the morning? That's a different thing altogether. Know, because then we're looking at health and, you know, should they be sold and segregation and all that. Let's not go there yet. Okay, so. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. This could turn into a fierce debate altogether. I know, but it's like, you know, I, I, friend and foe, I think both. Yeah. 100%. I think they're necessary, but I think that they're, they're so good at what they do that it bugs me and it irks me. Do you know that they're, yeah. they're everywhere? So who do you, you think know? are like, you know, the best of what they're doing? Or do you have any examples of, of, one, of brand, big brands that you like to sort of hold up there and say, yeah, like they have it down? Uh, Torres, yeah, Torres. I've done a lot of work with them. Yes, um, 
anytime I can, I, I will absolutely support them because I think they are pioneers and in innovation and they've got entry level up to really high end and they're, you know, yes. flying winemakers, all the rest. And, they you know, I, I just respect, admire and I like what that family are doing. Uh, yeah. Love, love, love. Yes, that I know. I think I would support that because, like that, they have lots of different quality levels, lots of yeah. different price points. Now they have a winery, you know, in Chile, and you know mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of high altitude stuff. They invest in sustainability, which is you know so important. Um, yeah, so so they, um, yeah, they're really leading the way in sustainability. But uh, really, it's just that offering, as you say, it's bringing the consumer in and then getting them to sort of hopefully sample other types of wines and styles and yeah, varieties. Like from from Vinasol, Sangre de Toro, all of those wines would be ones that I would have recognized when I was much younger, grown up, seen around the house. And did I ever tell you the story about uh, a neighbor? Well, my auntie's neighbor who used to drink Sangre de Toro a lot. <laughs> and the little bull that was on it is yes. no longer there now, but the little plastic bull uh, was on it and he used to collect the kid used to collect it for his little farm that he had um, so he used to have like quite a few little little bulls hanging around with his other animals that he got you know so he used to, the parents obviously knew and the friends of the parents knew that that was obviously from the wine so it was quite amusing you know cute he's now a vet so you know you obviously their their hard work inspired by the Sangre de Toro yeah. <laughs> the you know bull's blood yeah. that's what it means Okay. Um, I um, Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, sorry. No, let me go back for one second. Vina Esmeralda is another one of their wines, which is kind of off dry style. And yeah. I remember my cousin was in Dubai and she said, oh my God, I had this amazing wine in Dubai. It was gorgeous when she came back. And when she came back, she had it. And she was like, oh, I didn't like that at all because it worked in the setting with the type of food that they were having, the sunshine. It was really chilled. But when she came back, she was like, oh, no, no. So I think that they've got so many different types of wine to suit lots of different palates and price points. So, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah. And it's interesting when when I was at the MW seminar recently, we had this brilliant um, session with a lady called Dawn Nunez, I think was her name. Um, she's an MW um, that now, ironically enough, having gotten her MW title, she now works in the spirits world, <laughs> which I think was hilarious. But anyway, um, that's a bit mad, isn't it? Yeah, I know. But she okay. did a whole presentation on like what the wine world can can learn from the spirits uh, industry, because when it comes to things like branding, you know, the spirits industry really have it nailed. I mean, okay, they have the scale to do it. They have the budget to do it. But she kind of said, how many brands, wine brands are really that iconic or really like stick out in your mind? When you think about spirits, she was able to throw up like hundreds of examples, you know, the Picardi bat, Beefeater, you know, the the guy with the hat, uh, you know, Jameson's, you know, just really iconic brands um, with really I suppose, innovative packaging, and that's not practical for the wine world. I mean, you know, you've seen all sorts of bottle types used in spirits that just isn't practical for a wine bottling line. Yeah. But she just felt that um, the spirit sector were, were leagues ahead. ahead in terms of knowing how to speak to the consumer, knowing how to connect, um, you know, even the premiumization bit through the ladder, as you said, you know, with your example of Torres, 
you know, you, you come in drinking sangre de toro and you end up drinking mas plana or whatever, you know, which is really premium. So mm, I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was just a really interesting, you know, they're, they're investing in, the, I mentioned NFTs and, you know, you have, as you said, LVMH, you own a load of spirits looking to fashion and drawing inspiration from fashion and just being like really innovative. And, you know, she was kind of saying like the wine industry is almost too traditional still to, especially in the old world, um, Mm -hmm. to, to, to really create or haven't yet to, to create strong brands or to be as innovative when it comes to, to branding um, as the spirits world has. And I thought it was just really interesting to listen to her and make, making that point. And even beers, she said, you know, it's the same thing. Antonia, as yes. usual, a little bit of a fun quiz for you. Are you ready? Yes. Great. As wouldn't always. be the same. Okay. Wouldn't be an episode without one, Linda. <laughs> of course not. Okay. Which American owned winery celebrated 30 years and described their wines as crisp and fruity or soft and fruity rather than naming the grape. American winery. That's not Gallo. Nope. Mm. It's a yeah. two word. One beginning with B, one beginning with H. I know you're confusing me now. <gasps> no, I don't know. Blossom Hill. Oh, God. How did I get that? Soft and fruity and crisp and fruity. You don't yeah. buy it, obviously. You don't be paying attention to the brand. No, I'm not going to be good at these questions <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay. Blossom right. Hill, of course. Uh, we've answered loads of these already. Which Spanish wine had a plastic ball attached to the bottle? Oh, come on. Sangre de Toro. Ole. Um, <laughs> Ole. Okay. Wines that have animals on them are known as critter wines. Can you give me an example? Yeah, yellowtail. Kangaroo. Very good. Well done. Yeah. Which Actually, big that's a, sorry the- to interrupt you. That's a, one I wanted to, to get your views on because, you know, wine labels with animals seem to really connect with the consumer. Why do you think that is? Because they're not scary. They're not intimidating. They're not going to think that it's too serious. So if they're not that into wine and they want something that's easygoing, fruit forward and not too complex, they will go for something that has a little bird, a little butterfly, you know, critters, any kind of little more appealing, aesthetically appealing packaging that's softer, that doesn't have a chateau on it, things like that. And my lovely cousin. Can't you say that about lots of objects or things out there that that are not intimidating? Do you know? Like animals, is it that people really connect with animals? If you don't know anything about wine, say, for example, you've got a Bordeaux and there's a chateau on it. Like people go, oh, that'll be serious. That'll be hard work. Whereas if they're used to drinking brands and wines that have, you know, the name of the grape, the name of the brand, you know, Hardy's, whatever it may be, Rosemont, all of these ones that they would have kind of grown up with or seen coming on the market, they kind of say, oh, that'll be the type I want without necessarily knowing what they're having. Like something that has like a shimmer on the bottle or, you know, isn't too serious or nondescript, then they go for that, in my opinion. Based on talking to so many consumers, I don't have hard facts on this now. It's just very much talking to consumers. Fair enough. Okay, crack on. Uh, I don't really have that more because we've actually... Talked on some of these. Okay. A big brand that has a foot on the label. Barefoot. Thank God I got that one right because it's yeah. at risk of looking like a total idiot. Okay. Which French wine brand has a back label that reads in the Escalons Valley, Angels Whisper, 
if you drink this wine, you might see them. No, whisper if you drink it, this wine, you might hear them. <laughs> if you visit us, you might see them. Now you have to say it's pretty good marketing. No, it's not. It's terrible marketing. It's terrible. But I mean, it's been a success. The packaging, the whole thing. The, I mean, the fact that it was the first of the Provence style rosés to be put on the market. It was kind of genius. I tell you nothing time. about that. That's just annoying for me, like really annoying. And then they have another one um, and it it all started with a whisper. Now it's time to rock. Oh, no, rock that's angel. ridiculous. That's the rock angel. Yeah, yeah. I know. But yeah. it sells and it works, but that's because they got influencers involved and made everything look pink and aesthetically fabulous. And that's where this brand has like. Phew. No different to the 19 crimes we started with, which was like, what's the point of it? How is it connected to wine? You know, it tells you nothing about it, but, you know, I, it is about how much is invested in the marketing and the positioning and the placement. But it also seems to resonate on some level or people seem to be intrigued or interested the same way they're intrigued by the whispers of the angels in the vineyards or whatever crap is written there. It, it you know, it's worked. The proof is in the pudding. The sales there. A hundred percent there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so finally, finally, finally. All right. Which devil uh, collection? Created for those who know how to enjoy every moment in a great setting and with the best company without restrictions and complications. Like, now, what? That, what? I don't understand that. But did you say something about the devil? It's a devil's collection from a so, particular wine brand. And they Casiero del Diablo, no? Yeah, but they described this wine as this collection was created for those who know how to enjoy every moment in a great setting. And with the best company and without restrictions or complications. I'm sorry, but what's that? No clue. Isn't that just BS now? Do you know? Well, that's where you go. Like, how has it worked with that kind of but marketing? You see, they've huge money. They've huge money. They've huge pockets of money that they can pay for ads on TV, in magazines, in all sorts. So, you know. By that token, you're saying you can create any, you know, poor sort of a marketing campaign or messaging let's say or brand but as long as you have the money behind it it's going to be successful you see I think all brands have to go up and you know they start off and they're going to gain traction and then they're going to get to a peak and then they'll plateau and then the people go oh let's move on to a new brand and market that mm-hmm well, some of I'm these brands I mean the brands we were talking about in this episode have stood the test of time you know yeah. Barefoot, Penfolds, Moet, Whispering Angel. They're still going strong. So what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com Until next time I'm Antonia Dominguez and I'm Linda Coogan Cheers Cheers You have been listening to Wine The Long and the Short of It with me Antonia Dominguez and me Linda Coogan in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future <laughs>